So it is one week till Christmas, as we talked about earlier, which means um, it's one week till one of my favorite services of the year, Christmas Eve service. It's just a beautiful service. We're going to gather together and that moment at the very end when you get the candle. You know, when you're a little kid, you don't even care about the song. You just want the candle, see what you can light on fire. And you're going to get the candle, you're going to light it, and we're going to go around the room and everyone's going to raise their candles and we're going to sing Silent Night. It's such a powerful beautiful service. It's one week till we're going to gather together with friends and family members and we're going to exchange gifts and you're going to be excited and maybe disappointed. You're going to think that you got a great gift and then they're going to be like, thank you. You know, and then you're going to realize you got the wrong gift or the wrong size. It's one week till vacation for some of you who's excited about that. A lot of you don't have vacation. Keep telling myself uh, it's going to be one week till I really declare that I'm going to regulate uh, my eating habits, and I'm going to start eating healthy and eating less desserts. It's going to happen in about one week from today. It's not only one week till Christmas, but it's also two weeks till New Year's Eve, which means it is two weeks until 2018, which means it's two weeks till I break my desire to regulate my eating habits and my dessert intake. It is two weeks until I start filling out forms incorrectly for about the next six months. Uh, that is a struggle, right? It is, it's going to be a while until 2018 gets into my head and my bones. It's two weeks until I make a resolution that I will break in the first three weeks. I just know myself. And it, this is crazy for me personally. It is two weeks until it's almost two years that I've been at Crossbridge Brickle, which is exciting. It's crazy to think of that. You know, this time of year is a time of year, I think, unlike any other that causes us to reflect, right? It, it's a roller coaster of emotion. There's so much joy and there, there's difficult memories and there's successes and there's failures. There's all types of different things that are flooding our mind and we're feeling during this time. And so we begin to reflect, you know, we begin to think about 2017. And I don't know what 2017 was for you. I don't know if it was a great year, an exciting year. Maybe you're going to spend some time reflecting and you're going to think about all the opportunities that came your way, that you're able to capitalize, the, the successes that you found in work. You're going to think about the relationships that were formed. Maybe you moved to Miami for the first time and you're starting to explore the city and you realize it is a wonderful city. Maybe you're thinking about the growth that has taken place in your life, in your character, in your relationships, professionally. But it's not only a time when we're going to begin thinking about our successes, right? It's also a time where we're going to think about our failures. That's happens as well when we begin to process. You think about the things that didn't go as expected, the relationships that are still a struggle. You think about the bad memories that come up during this time of every year because they're difficult, they're hard to process, they're feelings of loss. And you know, I think sometimes when we begin to reflect and when we begin to process and when we begin to think about our year and really where we're at in life, sometimes it can feel like the words of C.S. Lewis as he writes in the Chronicles of Narnia, and he says, it's always winter, never Christmas. It can feel like that's true, right? We've all had those seasons, and maybe you're in that season now where you feel like, yeah, I mean, everyone's excited about Christmas. They're going on vacation. They're going to see family and friends. And there's going to be a lot of exciting things happening. And I'm putting on a smile because I know I'm supposed to because it's Christmas and it's lights and it's happy and it's hot chocolate and it's the whole thing. But, man, it feels like winter to me. It does not feel like Christmas. And I think the reality of the situation for every single one of us here is whether or not we are excited about what 
lies ahead for us in 2018 and we felt like 2017 was a good year in our life or whether 2017 was a hard year in 2018 is, is cloudy, it is ambiguous and we're a little fearful of what lies ahead, that every one of us here desires peace. We want peace. And we've been talking about these different themes that come up in the songs of Advent. And, and the first week we looked at Zechariah, this priest, and he sings this song, and it's a song of hope. And then his wife sings the song the next week, and the song that she sings, Elizabeth, is a song of love. And, and last week we looked at Mary, the mother of Jesus Christ, and her song is a song of joy. And all three of them are singing about Jesus Christ. They're singing about the Savior who will be born as we celebrate on Christmas. And tonight, as Sarah read, we are looking at the angel song. And the angel song is a song of peace. But Jesus has already been born, which is important. And you'll see the connection of why does peace come after Christ has been born. So that's where we pick up in the beginning of Luke 2. It's not written in your text, but here's what happens. Uh, after Mary sings her song at the end of Luke 1, we get to Luke 2, and Mary and Joseph are back in Nazareth, and they have to leave. They have to go about a 35-hour journey or so on foot from Nazareth to Bethlehem because there's a census. Now, this is a normal walking pace, 35 hours, maybe if you didn't stop, uh, but this would have taken them weeks, right? It's not only that they have to walk this entire distance. Maybe they had a donkey. We don't know. We assume that Mary rode a donkey, but we never actually read that in Scripture. Probably. But Mary's pregnant. And she's about to give birth, like, really soon. So imagine how they're feeling. They're getting ready. They have everything set up. They got their doctor. They got the, the you know, the nurseries all set up. Everything's ready to go. And then there's this decree that they have to leave and they have to go to Bethlehem to fill out the census, to do these forms and this stuff for the government. And everything is thrown off. And so now they have to walk 35 hours in one distance, probably over a span of three weeks, and they get to Bethlehem. When they get to Bethlehem, here's the difficulty. When they arrive, everyone else is doing the same thing. People are having to go to these different cities all over the region, all over the country. And so Bethlehem is packed. I mean, there, there's no room, right? The, the very famous phrase, there's no room in the inn. So they're, they're going around. Mary's going to have a child. They're trying to figure out where to go. And it's not as if the innkeeper is necessarily a jerk. It's just that he already is full. He doesn't know where to put them. There's no room anywhere in the whole city. And so he's merciful and, and gracious and loving. And he looks at Mary and Joseph and he says, listen, um, you can go in, in my cave. Uh, I have a cave. There's animals in there. They're my livestock. It, it's warm, and uh, you'll be safe there, and you could sleep there for tonight. So they go in there, and this is the place that Christ is born, in a cave with a bunch of animals around, and, and not, as we've said, in a beautiful decorated arch, beams made by a craftsman manger, but in a, a stone that has been carved out that they would have put the feeding uh, the food and all the different stuff for the animals to eat out of. So they would have cleaned that out, maybe put some hay down, and that's where Jesus, after he was born, as he was wrapped up, they put him in there to rest. So Jesus Christ is born in these conditions, and, and right after this is where we pick up our text tonight. So Jesus has been born in a cave with a bunch of animals, and he's laying in a feeding trough. And then it says this in verse 8. In the same region, so in the same area, there were shepherds out in the field... 
as shepherds do, keeping watch over their flocks by night. If you have been around the church, if you've read Christmas stories, if you've seen a Christmas pageant, right, you probably have this memorized. The shepherds were out in the fields keeping watch over their flocks by night. And he's like, move on to the next one. But you have to stop here, okay. Every word, every phrase is really important in scripture. You have to slow down. And it's important because when we read shepherds, we automatically think, you know, they're the people with the cool clothes and they got the hooks and they got the animals. I mean, shepherds, they're, they're wonderful. They're great. But shepherds were not as we imagine. They're not as we portray in the Christmas pageant. You know, I, I thought shepherds were cool. I'm a shepherd guy. That's what I wanted to be, you know. They have cool clothes. They have a stick that you can mess with people with. And it has a hook on one end. So there's a lot of things you can do with that. And you get to walk an animal. So if you're on those live Christmas pageant deals, you get an animal. Now the wise men, they get the colorful clothes. They get the hat, but they got to carry weird gifts. You know, like, like I'm not going to be a wise man. I want to be the guy with the animal. If I have a sheep or a goat, I could try to ride it. You know, the whole thing. Like I'm a shepherd guy. That was me. But shepherds were not as we imagined. They weren't these like really nice people that just liked animals a lot and they're out in the field. Shepherds were peasants. They were the bottom of the social ladder. Nobody wanted to be or be associated with a shepherd and, and they really struggled to support themselves. They, most of them could not support themselves just by watching the sheep or the livestock in the fields, whether or not they're caring for someone else's livestock, it was their own. And so they would actually have to, to sell themselves to other people, hire themselves out to do other jobs to try to stay financially viable. As a result, what happened is a lot of shepherds would resort to stealing because they needed to make ends meet. So they were known in society as crooks. They were criminals. They were people that would steal. And so if you walk by a shepherd, I mean, this is where you have the backpack, you turn around to the front. You know, this is the purse right here, pepper spray ready. You know, like everything's ready, check the wallet. You're walking by a shepherd. And you not only did you not want to be careful as you walk by a shepherd because they could pickpocket and maybe take something from you, but you also did not want to touch a shepherd because they were unclean. They were dirty. I mean, you don't want to associate with them. They're outcasts. They're not even allowed in the city. You don't want them in the temple. They're out in the fields with the animals. They're about on the same level as an animal. See, the religious leaders actually labeled shepherds as sinners. They're the worst label you can have. They're sinners. You don't want to be a shepherd. You don't want to associate with a shepherd. So you can imagine what it was like to be a shepherd during this time period, right? I mean, it had to have been a lonely life because you really could only associate with other shepherds and maybe lepers. And it had to have been a hard life, hard to make money, hard to, to be financially viable, hard to interact in the city when nobody wants to be around you, to walk on the other side of the street. And whether or not you are in fact a criminal or you are in fact a crook that you've ever taken anything in your life, maybe you have never done that. You've been an upstanding person. You just love animals. And this is the job that you were born into. And it's the opportunity that you've been given. You assume this label. This is a label that you have been given and you will live by, which is you are dirty. You are unclean. You're an outcast. Don't come in the city, especially don't come in the temple. You're a sinner. This is what it means to be a shepherd. And so the shepherds are out in the fields doing what shepherds do, watching their flocks. And it says in verse 9, that an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. I mean, I don't care who you are. If you're out in the field just hanging out and an angel shows up in full glory, you're going to be full of fear, right? Like, boom, like what's going on? I mean, they were terrified. 
but they were even more terrified because they're shepherds. Imagine what they're thinking. I mean, they've been labeled in this society as people unworthy of being not only in the city, but not in the temple. They're dirty, they're unclean. And so an angel shows up to a shepherd and they're thinking, this is not good news. This is bad. This is condemnation. This is judgment. I mean, what is about to happen here? They are filled with fear. They're freaking out. See, they've they've understood and they've been taught in this culture that the glory of the Lord is associated and manifested in the temple. And the temple alone It's for the highly religious, the priests, the religious leaders are the ones that take care of the temple. And and you have to clean yourself up and you have to wash yourself off and you have to get ready and have all your sacrifices just to even encounter a glimpse of God's presence and his glory. And now the glory of God has been manifested on a farm. And they don't know how to process it. You see, there's something subtle happening that is going to be teased out in this entire passage that the angel is sharing and declaring about who God is and his nature and how he deals with his people. It's that God is turning everything on its head. Everything is backwards. The glory of God that is manifested in the temple is now going to be manifested on a farm. And the angel is going to declare that it's no longer in a temple the glory of God is going to be seen in a child who currently is in a cave and laying in a feeding trough. Everything is changing. Peace has come to earth. And so the, the shepherds are freaking out. They think they're being condemned and judged. They're frozen in fear. And the angel understands this. And in verse 10, the angel says to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. The angel looks at the shepherds, they're terrified, they're not moving, they're freaking out. And the angel says, listen, don't worry. (laughs) I have good news, I have the gospel, good news, and it brings great joy. And here's the kicker for the shepherds, and it's for all people, even you, shepherds. How much more of a powerful sentence can you have than that, right? The angel is declaring to the shepherds and to us, that the gospel, the good news has come and it brings great joy and it is for everyone. Every single person is for all people. The good news is for peasants and for crooks and for sinners. And as will be fleshed out and as we see in scripture, it is not for the religious and the rulers, those that assume in their ignorance that they don't need to listen to God, they don't need God. It's going to clean themselves up. They're going to take care of themselves. They're going to build success professionally. They're going to be morally superior and look down on other people. And because they follow rule A, B, C, D, and E, therefore they're accepted and loved by God. The gospel, which brings great joy, is for all people. And it's for the people that recognize like shepherds, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. why am I privileged to be in this encounter? Why would God have good news for me, and the angel sings this, this good news to the shepherds. And here's, here it is in verse 11. Here's the good news, the gospel. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, Messiah, who is Christ the Lord. The angel is looking at the shepherds and he says, here's the gospel. Here's the good news that's going to bring you great joy. And it's for you, this day for you, in Bethlehem, in the city of David... A Savior has been born, that is Christ the Lord. And this 
The way that the angel says this and sings this aspect of the song, it, it draws your mind and attention to Isaiah 9, which was written hundreds of years before this moment, before the birth of Christ. And here's what Isaiah 9 says. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You see, the angel is declaring to the shepherds here, here's the, here's the good news that will bring you great joy that is for all people. God has been born. And God has come in a baby, in a manger, in a cave in Bethlehem. You know, the one that you have been praying for and you've been hoping for and you've been reading about hundreds of years ago as Isaiah wrote, the child that's going to be given, the government will be on his shoulders because it's God in the flesh. The mighty God, wonderful counselor, prince of peace, everlasting father has been born. He's here. And maybe the most shocking of all is the angel will look at the shepherds and say, you're invited to go see him. That had to have blown them away. I mean, everything right now is just like their whole life is crumbling before their eyes. An angel has appeared to them. He's had a conversation with them. And now they're realizing that like they're accepted by God, that they're loved by God, that they're not too far gone. Everyone else in society has kicked them out of the city. And, and yet now in this moment they're told that the good news, the gospel of great joy is for them, that, that the mighty God, wonderful counselor, prince of peace, everlasting father has been born. It's happened right now. And they're invited to go see him. That's what verse 12 says, right? It says, this will be a sign for you, for you, shepherds. You will find, so there's going to be a journey. You're going to find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Lying in a feeding trough. Imagine how this felt for them for a moment. How they're processing all of this, right? The, the shock of everything must have been so immense. Their emotions had to have been all over the place. I mean, they're still absorbing that they're talking to an angel. That had to have been difficult. That they're not being condemned. That they're being told good news of great joy that is for them. That the prophesied Messiah, Savior, Christ the Lord, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, wonderful counselor, has been born. And they, shepherds, who aren't even allowed in the city or to a temple and nobody wants to touch them or be near them, they're invited to go visit the Savior of all people. And then they hear that the Savior, because they're shepherds, they work with animals, they understand this, the, the Savior is in a manger? What? I mean, the expectation would have been that the Savior, listen, you get to go, Savior's in a palace right outside Bethlehem, they got gardens, they got a moat, they got the whole thing, beautiful fruit trees, you're going to go in there, you're going to knock, here's the code, here's the situation, you're going to walk by all these armed guards, just tell them that I'm here, you're going to give them this passcode, they're going to let you through, and you're going to find the baby, the baby's going to be in this really big gold ornate basket, there's going to be grapes and all different types of fans and things happening, and you're not even going to be able to, because it's Savior. It's God, it's Emmanuel, and we got to roll out the red carpet. But yet God comes in terms that they, shepherds, and us can understand. God comes in a recognizable and approachable way. 
in a cave with animals and in a manger. And they are invited to see him. Don't run past that. Think about that. The shepherds in the field are invited to go visit Jesus, Savior Messiah, in the cave. In the same night that he was born. They're not part of the family. They don't even know the couple. They're like, this isn't common. I mean, think about cultural norms, right? I mean, what is the Christmas story doing here? As I told you, it's flipping everything over on its head. It's flipping everything over. Everything is opposite. When you have a child, you have the room, you have it all set up, you have family members come, maybe close friends come. But if you have a stranger knock on the door, be like, hey, hey, I'm here to see the baby. What's going on? I mean, you're not going to let them in. You're going to call 911. You're going to hit that little button that they have in the room. You know what I mean? Like, that doesn't happen. Like, Someone shows up to the hospital, like, hey, who are you here to see? Everyone. I don't know. It's going to go from room to room to room, see the baby, hold the baby. That's kind of how it's going to work. Like, that's not okay, right? <laughs> that's not acceptable. That's not right. That's not culturally the norm. Only family and maybe close friends go to see a child after a child has been born. And yet shepherds, outcasts, have been invited to go see Jesus Christ, the Savior, in a manger. As they're probably thinking about it, they're asking themselves, why, why are we invited to go? We're not family. Are they not family? Or are they family? Let's begin to process the good news that has been given to them. You see, they've assumed that the family of God are the highly religious. We still assume this today, right? The highly religious, those that have it all together, that are morally superior, that are able to, to follow step one, two, three, four, five, they're certainly a part of the family of God. But those that are messed up, those that make mistakes, those that have assumed all these different labels, outcasts, they're not the family of God, certainly not sinners and shepherds. And the Christmas story turns this entirely over on its head. And the Christmas story tells us that the family of God is made up of sinners exclusively. Exclusively. The family of God is made up of sinners. Shepherd-like people. People that understand and feel and sense as if the shepherds are in this moment and they're having all this process of them. They're thinking to themselves, I I'm not worthy of this. <laughs> I'm just a shepherd. Who am I to have this encounter? Who am I to be invited to go see Jesus, the, the Savior in a manger? Jesus welcomes all people to visit him. And as I was thinking about Christmas and, and all of the things that happen and all of the distractions, all of the wonderful distractions, have I taken time? And the question for you is, have you taken time to think about the fact that the Christmas story reminds you that you are a sinner you're a shepherd, but you're loved by God, and God invites you to visit him because you're family. Regardless of who you are and what you have done, Jesus has invited you into his family, and Jesus is for you, and he is available to you. And you may feel like a shepherd, right? You may feel like, listen, I, uh, I believe the labels that I've been given. Like, I, I've assumed them because I believe that they are true. I I believe I'm, I'm too dirty and I'm unworthy 
for God. I, I believe that I should stay outside the temple. Maybe you came here tonight and you're like, man, I, <laughs> I was nervous when I walked in if lightning was going to come down and like, bam, you know, knock me out because it's been a rough week. It's been a rough couple weeks. You think to yourself as we sing in the song, I'm not good enough. You know, I've been told that time and time and time again, and I really have started to believe that I'm not good enough, I'm not religious enough. And you come to that moment and that place as you've been reflecting on the end of your year, you've been reflecting on who you are, and you, you know you're a sinner, right? You're like, oh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a shepherd, I'm a sinner. Well, here's, here's a Christmas story. God does too. He knows you're a sinner, he knows I'm a sinner, and he loves you anyway, he invites you in. He invites you to visit him. Invites you to find the good news, which is great joy for all people. This is the Christmas song that is sung to you and me. And the Christmas song says this, come and see Jesus. He's available to you. He's open. The door is open. You are family and you can visit him. And as the shepherds are processing this and as they're about to start on their journey to go see Jesus because they're invited to go. And so they go. They encounter peace. Look at verse 13. It says, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, so as they're sitting there, if this hasn't been like a surreal and shocking moment enough, all of a sudden they're talking to this angel. They're thinking to themselves, we're about to embark on this journey to go find the Savior. I can't believe we're invited to go and we're about to go. And then bam. Did you hear that? That was cool. That was like a reverberation. There's a whole host of angels a whole host of angels covering the sky. And here's what they sing. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Picture that. Imagine that. Feel what that felt like for the shepherds. Everything in their life has been changed in a moment. In an instant, all the labels, all the things that they've assumed about themselves and who God is and how God deals with his people, it's all come crumbling down. And here in this moment when they've heard the good news that they are loved by God even though they're sinners and they're invited to come and visit Jesus Christ and, and be in relationship with him even though they feel like they're not worthy to, they come to find peace because they know that God is pleased with them. They never assumed that God would be pleased with them. They figured God would be angry with them. And yet they've come to find peace. You see, the Savior has come for those that are like shepherds. Not for those that think they can earn God's peace. They can earn God's love because of how religious they are and all the people that they've kept out and the people they've distanced themselves from because they're trying to, to maintain everything in their life because God wants them to be perfect. And they believe that they can pursue that path. The Christmas story reminds us that, listen, we are all sinners and God has invited us to come and visit him and find peace. And here's the beautiful thing about peace. When we read the word peace in scripture, it's the word shalom. And the word shalom is a deeper and more powerful word than what we often associate with peace. When we think about peace, we think of peace of mind, right? Like I want peace of mind, I need things to be calmed down, I'm, I'm struggling with anxiety, I'm fearful, I have a lot going on, I want peace of mind. 
And we think about the absence of war, right, the absence of conflict, peace between two people, peace between nations. Now, shalom can include these things, but it's much more profound than this. It's much more expansive than this because shalom is the wholeness of all things. It is completeness. It is wholeness. That is the biblical understanding of peace. It is relational wholeness. It is professional wholeness. It is emotional wholeness. It is mental wholeness. It is spiritual wholeness. It is communal wholeness. Shalom is much deeper and more expansive than simply peace of mind in the absence of conflict. It is the total well-being that affects not only you internally, but it has ripple effects. It affects those outside because it's peace on earth. It can be found, it can be experienced. And the angels sing here that it is given to everyone with whom God is pleased. Which is to say, if you want to find peace, if you want to find shalom, total well-being, wholeness in all different aspects and areas of your life, the Christmas story says this, find God. Go find Jesus. Take the journey. You're invited in. You're family. It's okay that you feel like you're a sinner and you're not worthy and you're outcasted and you haven't stepped foot in the temple in a long, long time. It's okay. You are invited in to find Christ and you will find a Savior who offers you peace. You see, if you're struggling with, with peace, if you're thinking to yourself as you've been reflecting during the sermon, as you've been reflecting on your year, man, Carter, there are some areas where I would love shalom in relationships, professionally, emotionally, mentally, things I'm struggling with currently spiritually, in community, that would be nice. Then the angel's song, the song of peace to the shepherds and the Christmas story says, go and find Jesus. Maybe for the first time for some of you. Maybe you've been reluctant. Maybe you've been, you've been stuck in an intellectual swamp of questions. You just keep asking another one and you keep asking another one. Maybe you've been feeling that you're too sinful and you're too messed up and once you get your life in order, once you get things on track and, and, and you kind of start doing some of these things a little bit better, then, then you'll start to pursue a relationship with God and, and get to know him. Well, here's the reality. The Christmas story reminds you that God has come to rescue you, that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh, wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace, everlasting father, that he is approachable, that he invites all people, sinners and shepherds alike to come and visit him. And then as we celebrate in a couple months on Easter, he has paid the penalty and the death for your sin and your shame. So you can feel like you're too messed up and you're too unworthy, but you're not. You are invited into relationship with God by his grace through faith in Christ and who he is and what he's done for you. And when you do, when you come to find him, you will find shalom. You will find spiritual shalom. And when you find spiritual shalom, wholeness in your relationship with God and who he is, it will begin to affect all the different aspects of your life. Your relationships, your career the community that you're a part of, your emotions, everything will be affected when you come to find who God is and that he loves you and he calls you family because of Jesus Christ. Now, some of you are sitting here thinking to yourself, Carter, 
Listen, um, I've visited God. I have come to find Jesus and I, I believe and trust in him. And I know that I'm forgiven. I know that I'm loved. I know I'm part of the family. I believe the gospel, which is great joy for all people. I know that. But Carter, I'm struggling with peace. So um, I, I'm going to have spiritual shalom, I think. Relationship with God has been mended. But I mean, I'm, I, I want peace and I don't have it. I don't have wholeness. What about me? What do I do? How do I find it? It's the same answer. You visit God. You spend time with God. You see, visiting God is not a one-time affair. It's really important to recognize. It's not a one-time affair. Friedrich, Friedrich Buckner said this. He's a pastor and theologian. He said, for outlandish creatures like us on our way to a heart, a brain, and courage, Bethlehem is not the end of our journey, but only the beginning not home, but a place through which we must pass if we are ever to reach home at last. You see, if you've had that interaction with God where you've come to find him and you've come to realize that you're forgiven, that you're loved, you've had this shepherd-like experience that has torn down everything that you assumed about who God is and you know you're a part of the family, you know that you are loved, you're never going to mess that up. It's not about how good you are. It's not about how religious you are. It is about you coming to trust and faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done for you, that he is in fact God in the flesh as we celebrate on Christmas. And when you believe that and you have this relationship with God that has been mended, there's an eternal mending, there's an eternal peace that you come to experience. That is what your relationship with God is now characterized as if you believe in Jesus Christ, eternal peace. But here's the reality. Your present experience with your relationship with God is incomplete because you're on this side of heaven because you're still a shepherd. I'm still a shepherd. We're still sinful. And so therefore, we don't perfectly experience the reality of our eternal peace. We don't perfectly experience that now. It is true and it will one day come to pass, but we don't perfectly experience that now, which means life, which contains its fair share of struggle and pain and hardship and difficulty and anxiety and fear and regret and all those different things, because it contains all of that and because we are hard-headed and because we struggle, we have to constantly, daily return to God. We have to visit him. We have to spend time with him. We have to go back to the manger and begin to practice what he says. You see, when you come to visit with God in prayer, in his word, in community, you come to find spiritual shalom and then you find the steps that God has laid out for you to follow to find shalom in the other aspects of your life. Here's something I was thinking this week, which you know, it's, it's challenging for all of us. We cannot expect to show up on Sunday and then be good from Monday through Saturday. That's not how it works. We can't just come in, get our Jesus fill on Sunday, or every once in a while, read a passage here and there, throw a prayer up here and there, spend some time with the Christian community here and there, and then, and then expect that every aspect of our life is going to be transformed. We're going to experience peace because we are living in a sea of brokenness and we are breaking things ourselves. 
You see, if we want to find shalom, wholeness in all things, we have to daily and continually return to God and find completion and wholeness in our relationship with him that will then in turn affect every aspect of who we are in our life. It has ripple effects. I want to end with the words that God speaks to Joshua as he's preparing to go into the promised land. He's full of fear. He's full of anxiety. He has no idea what's going to happen. He probably is asking himself, am I the right man for this? I don't know what's going to take place. And here's what God says to him. He says, and don't for a minute let this book of the revelation, God's word, be out of mind. Ponder and meditate on it day and night. Making sure you practice everything written in it and then you'll get where you're going. Then you'll succeed. Have I, haven't I commanded you? Strength, courage, don't be timid. Don't get discouraged. God, your God is with you every step you take. You see, peace is found when we visit God, when we spend time with him, when we recognize that we are family and we are invited in. And then there we find shalom because we recognize God is pleased with us and it affects every aspect of who we are. Let's pray.